So over the years, I've been uh, struck by a, a number of different books with very creative titles, and the books are actually quite intriguing. And here are some of the books that I'm referring to. Here are the titles. Uh, the Gospel According to Starbucks, uh, The Gospel According to Bruce Springsteen, uh, and then there's The Gospel According to the Beatles, Peanuts, The Simpsons, and even Harry Potter. They're all, they're all great reads. And I'm sure that there are even more Gospels According to. And really, as I think about this, the point, the point of all of this is that God is everywhere. And we get glimpses of God in all kinds of places and in all kinds of ways. And everything around us really is metaphorical and can teach us something about our faith. And I believe that our walk with Jesus is deepened profoundly when we open up ourselves to be willing to see God in different places, even unexpected places. And that our faith really deepens when we don't limit ourselves to where and how we might learn something about God. So with this in mind, this morning I begin a two-part series that probably wouldn't be very well understood in Mississippi, but uh, this morning I begin a two-part series titled The Gospel According to Skiing. And if I had to guess, many others have written about this idea, but I don't really know. I decided to just venture out on my own. And part of my hope really is to have some fun with this topic and to help each of us become more tuned into places we never thought of before that might have something to say to us about our faith. Said very simply, we can learn a lot about Jesus everywhere we are, even when we're skiing on our local mountains. Now, while I know that many of us ski, I'm also sensitive to the fact that some don't, and that is not only more than okay, but something I'm actually going to touch on in part two of this series uh, next week. With that said, I begin here today with just some fun tidbits about skiing. I kind of went off on a tangent, but I thought it was kind of interesting. I, I didn't know that the word ski itself likely comes from an old Norse word meaning stick of wood. And as I thought about the meaning stick of wood, I, I thought immediately back to the skis that many of us used to have decades ago, that they certainly were like sticks of wood, although this is no longer the case. And skiing has actually been around for thousands and thousands of years, up to 6,000 years ago, some scholars and researchers think. Folks uh, not long ago found a 4,000-year-old rock carving of skis in Norway, and ski fragments from skis fragments themselves have also been found from 2,000 years ago, again in Norway, Finland, and Sweden. Must be why the Scandinavians are such amazing skiers. And competition's been a long uh, history of the sport, too. In, 1860, in the 1860s in California, skiers actually wore 12-foot-long skis with toe straps. Can you imagine? And they raced straight down the hill. And as I thought about that, the image of my own broken tib fib came to mind. <laughs> uh, in 1870s, the word slalom was introduced, and the first ski lift used was, anybody know? Sun Valley, Idaho. In, 1930, in the 1930s, the same decade that skiing debuted in the Olympics. Well, there's a long history of skiing, and check it out. It really adds depth to our enjoyment of the sport. There also are a lot of jokes about skiing and even snowboarding that, I, that I've come across over time. And here are just a few before we get serious. Um, did you hear about the three snowboarders riding the back of a car? Do you know who was doing the driving? 
the police. <laughs> and then there's this one, how do snowboarders introduce themselves? S sorry, dude. <laughs> uh, and the difference between a pizza and a ski bum, the pizza can actually feed people. And uh, finally, Irma Bombeck said, I don't participate in any sport with ambulances at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> well, anyway, so today we're going to explore, and next week we're going to explore the gospel according to skiing. And embedded when I say the word skiing, I'm referring obviously to snowboarding and other like sports because the commonalities are there. And we're going to take a look at various aspects of skiing and specifically how they relate to our journey with Jesus. And we're going to cover a lot of ground, we're going to cover a lot of points in these two weeks, and you can't possibly remember any of it, or much of it, but I hope that at least one or two points each week will grab you and cause you to, to think about your own faith journey. Well, first off, to ski, or to have fun doing it, you have to want to do it. Skiing is not something you just fall into doing. You have to want to check it out. And most skiers I know are not only passionate about skiing, but seek out every opportunity to do it. Skiing really ultimately depends on desire. And when it comes to our faith, it's pretty clear to me that desire is pretty fundamental. Desiring faith. Desiring God, wanting God, seeking God, searching for God. Wanting God's presence, desiring God's presence are all aspects that are necessary to have a deep faith. You've got to want it, really, to have that deep faith. And skiing as a metaphor for faith invites us to ask questions of ourselves like, how much do I really spend time seeking after God? How much time do I spend wanting God desperately in my life? Do I seek every opportunity to spend time with God? Do I desire God's guidance and wisdom? And even if I have faith, do I continue each and every day to want more of it and more of God and more opportunities and more experiences with God? How much is desire part of my relationship with God? And Scripture is full of this idea of seeking or desiring God. It's all over the place. One day when Paul was in Athens, he was chatting with a big group of people, and he said to the people that were there, he said, you know, God gives every one of you breath and life. And God gives you breath and life so that you will seek God. The reason you have life is to search for God, to seek for God. And a fellow who wrote a psalm said, I seek God with all of my heart. And then there are these beautiful words of King David of Israel who said, As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for God. My soul thirsts for God. And the prophet Isaiah encourages all people to look for God. He said, Seek the Lord with all of your might and your strength. Desire, wanting to do it makes a huge difference in skiing. It's fundamental to doing it. Desiring, seeking, searching for, and wanting makes a massive difference in our faith life. Seeking God 
with great passion and vigor moves us from being passive in our faith journey to being very active in our relationship with God. But as we all know, skiing takes more than simply wanting to do it, doesn't it? Skiing, at least to me, demands money, time, and effort. In other words, skiing requires some sacrifice. And while many of us live here, skiing is still costly. It's not inexpensive in terms of time, money, and effort. And think of the sacrifices and planning skiing takes if you're not living in a resort. The bottom line is, as I see it, skiing really demands some sacrifice. You have to give some things up to do it. Now it's a worthwhile sacrifice, but still you have to give some things up. And the idea of sacrifice is something that, again, that is at the core of our Christian walk. And while the essence of Jesus was and is love, the way that we know that Jesus is love is through the continual sacrifices that he made. Paul one day wrote this. He said, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but he didn't cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. When the time came, he set aside all the privileges of deity and became human. And he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. This is why Jesus one day said there's no greater love when you lay down your life for a friend. Sacrifice is the way that Jesus showed us that he loves us. And sacrifice is at the heart of our relationship with God if we're serious. When Jesus called his first followers to follow him, they were all working. They all had livelihoods. They had to make major life adjustments to turn their lives over to Christ. Work, family life, income streams, friendships were all dramatically affected by their commitment to Jesus. It was sacrifice. Jesus also said one day that if we want to follow him, we need to deny ourselves. Sacrifice. Person after person in Scripture learn that central to our relationship with God is letting go of a lot of things. Letting go of our attachments to money. Letting go of our need to focus on ourselves and instead, set, instead spending time focusing on serving others and working hard, sacrificially, to make things right. And as we think about the sacrifices we make to ski, I believe we're invited to ask ourselves, What sacrifices are we making for God? Are we making sacrifices? Am I making sacrifices? What are they? What happens when I make a sacrifice? What happens when I don't? Do I make any sacrifices? And what is clear to me is that significant sacrifices of time, money, and effort directly relate to the depth of a relationship with God. But aside from desire and sacrifice that's necessary for skiing and in our faith, there's the whole topic of equipment. When it comes to skiing, just think how dramatically equipment has changed in the last few years. I know many of us remember long ago those long straight skis with safety straps that guaranteed a whack on the head when you fell. And what about poles? we used to have that had those long spikes on the end that really more fit for some 
isolated tribe somewhere to impale things. And the boots, weren't they awful? And I too remember the big, big, puffy down jackets, which made people, or at least made me, look like the Michelin Tire Man or the Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> but regardless, the right equipment is to skiing what gasoline is to a car. You don't get anywhere without the right equipment. And in many ways, the equipment needed for skiing is a good metaphor for one aspect of our faith life. Here's what Paul wrote one day. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel. And with all of these, take the shield of faith which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Well, embedded in these verses from the Ephesians 6 chapter, there are 10 sermons, but I just want to explore each of these pieces of equipment, so to speak, very briefly. Here Paul tells us what we all know. Life can be brutally difficult. There is such a thing as evil, which messes with each and every one of us. Heartbreaking things are part of our journey. And all of these things, if we don't have the right equipment, can get us off track. But what helps immensely is having the right spiritual equipment on board. And here's what each of those pieces of equipment mean. And I've thought about these this week. And some of these pieces of equipment I need to add or focus more upon. Here's what each one mean, means. Paul mentions the belt of truth. Here Paul is simply saying in life, bathe your life with truth and honesty and integrity. Make your life completely about truth-telling to yourself. Be honest about everything. Have integrity. And when these things characterize your life, you're going to avoid so much junk. And when junk comes your way, you're going to be so much better off in being able to deal with it. Truth and honesty and integrity. Then he mentions putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Very simply, this means that as we go through our days, keep our focus and our eyes on the grace of God, that we are right with God, we are loved by God, we are cherished and beloved by God, no matter what. And if we go through each and every day with that breastplate of righteousness, knowing about grace and that we are okay with God because of God, it sets us up to deal with things in ways that we otherwise wouldn't have the capacity of doing. Then he talks about putting on the shoes of the gospel as you go through life. This really means that as we go through our day in and day out lives to keep the core elements and the truth of the gospel front and center as we journey through life and as hard things happen. What this means is to keep things like forgiveness that we all receive through the cross front and center in our minds. We're forgiven. And when bad things happen, when we know we're forgiven, we will approach things differently than if we don't keep that forgiveness front and center. Keep eternal life in mind. Keep in mind that Jesus is God in the flesh. 
And then we think of these things, these gospel truths, it, it equips us, it keeps us more steady in unsteady times. Paul then refers to the shield of faith. Faith is trust in God, and faith is a gift from God. And this is all about turning to God day in and day out, asking God, please God, help me to trust you this day. No matter what, no matter how bad things are, help me to trust you no matter what. It's turning to God as the primary source of our strength. Paul then refers to the helmet of salvation. In the end, what he means is in the end, all will be well. All will be well. We know where we're headed. So let go of fear and worry because we know our destination. Wearing the helmet of salvation means we keep trust and faith in the fact that all will be well in the end and we can release worry in the meantime. Then there's the sword of the Spirit. The last one, Paul here is basically saying, keep Scripture, the words of God, in your mind. The central themes of Scripture, themes like love and forgiveness, we're beloved and liberation, and we're created by God, and God has a purpose for us, all those great themes to keep them front and center. So Paul invites us each day to figuratively get up and dress ourselves with integrity and honesty and truth, a commitment to those things. Remembering grace and forgiveness and eternity and asking God for faith, the belief that all will be well and the truths of Scripture, that when we do this, we're going to be more prepared to deal with anything. And just as the right equipment helps us in skiing, the right equipment, so to speak, in our journey with Jesus keeps us on track. And I thought about this this week, that every time I go skiing, I go through this mental checklist. Do I have before jumping in the car? And God invites us to do the same thing when we get up each and every morning. Do I have in mind before I go through this day? But aside from desire, sacrifice, and the right equipment found in skiing in our faith, there is the whole topic of variable conditions. If you ski, you know all too well what powder, groomers, flat light, skied off, moguls, ice, blades, first tracks, and my personal favorite, rocks, among all other things, mean. And in skiing, we can't always control the conditions we encounter. Sounds like life. And just as skiing calls for flexibility in how to approach varying conditions, the same metaphorically can be said of our faith life. Talk about flexible. Paul in, his, in the letter in our first reading today, I mean the essence of that is I can be content in any situation. He's talking about being flexible. Here are these words, hard, easy, fun, painful, tough, brutal, great, disappointing, wonderful, beautiful, astonishing, heartbreaking, soul-crushing, loving, or just some of the conditions we encounter in life. They vary. And this is where flexibility comes in. One person writes, flexibility may be defined as capable of being bent without breaking, adaptable, willing to yield, pliable. Another person states, while the word flexibility is not used in Scripture, the concept of flexibility is found throughout. God teaches us flexibility. When God called Abraham and Sarah to leave home, that demanded flexibility. 
The same was true when the people followed God in the wilderness and when Jesus called his first disciples. That all demanded flexibility. Flexibility is about a willingness to yield, to let go, to bend, and to change. One person writes, flexibility is based on the desire to do the will of God more than our own. And so when we struggle with flexibility, it's helpful to ask questions of like, what is it that God wants me to do in this situation? How do I need to be more flexible in this situation? Am I fighting against doing things in a different way? Am I always wanting to do things in the same way? What happens if I don't yield? What happens if I'm not flexible? And on and on and on. And I do want to say flexibility can certainly be challenging. But flexibility is at the heart of resilience. And flexibility is what it is required to make it through the varying conditions of life. And just like a lax, lack of flexibility will make skiing difficult, if not bone-breaking, the same is true in our journey with Jesus. One more thing today I want to touch on. That has to do with courage. You all know what a fall line is. It's that thing that terrifies people who are new to skiing. The fall line in a mountain, as I understand it, or as it was explained to me 40 years ago, you put a rock or a ball on a hill and the direction it rolls directly down is the fall line. When starting to ski, for many people, it can feel very uncomfortable to think about heading down the steepest part of the run with your upper body kept aimed in that direction. And what do people do when it comes to the fall line when they're getting started? They either avoid it or they lean back. And the point, I believe, is that we ski better and we do things that seem counterintuitive and, in fact, scary, like not leaning back on a steep hill. All of this has to do with courage. And while skiing demands courage, so does our journey in faith. Story after story after story in Scripture, you might say, is all about heading down a fall line and not leaning back. Take David, who was willing to take on a massive character named Goliath. Again, think about Abraham and Sarah who had to set out in an unexpected direction late in life. That was courageous. Think of Esther who went before a king asking him to spare her people even though doing so she could have been executed. That's heading down the fall line. Think of Deborah, a woman leading an army at a time in which a woman leading an army would have been unheard of. That's going down the fall line. Think of the people that were willing to follow Jesus and step out, even though it was against popular opinion. That's going down the fall line. Think of Ruth following her mother-in-law into a very uncertain future. And on and on and on, story after story, Scripture is full of people gritting their teeth and heading down the fall line. Courage is necessary to skiing. And it's necessary in our walk with Jesus, but with one important caveat. Courage comes from God. None of the people I mentioned did what they did without turning to God and asking for the courage to do it. Rather, they did what they did precisely because they turned to God. They turned everything over to God, including their fear, and asked for the courage necessary do what they needed to do.
Every one of the people I mentioned, in essence, said, God, I cannot, but you can. And that was the source of their courage. And that's what we're called to do in our faith, too. So I've covered a lot of ground today. There's a lot to skiing. There's a lot to our faith. I've covered five aspects of skiing. Like skiing in our faith life, we're called to remember the importance of desire. Where are we with desiring, wanting, seeking, passionately a relationship with God day in and day out? Can we ramp up our desire? Where are we in terms of making sacrifices for God? Where are we with the right equipment? Do we put it on intentionally each and every day? Where are we with flexibility and yielding and being pliable and not demanding that it be done the same way always? And where are we with courage? The more we incorporate such things in our faith journey, the richer and more profound and deeper our relationship will become. So we're going to wrap up next Sunday. But in the meantime, hopefully one of these things grabbed you a little bit. You'll think about it as you're next out on the slope or looking up at the slope. And I just want us all to keep in mind that everywhere we are, whether on the slope or in a grocery store or wherever we are, there are metaphors for our faith life everywhere. Open up your eyes. It's all right there waiting to be discovered by each of us. And so let us pray.